All right. Okay. So, well, praise be to our loving Abba that we were able to peacefully enter the new year. We are now in 2023, and we're going to do our first episode of the, B the BQA Bible Questions and Answers for the year 2023. The topic of our lesson for today, the question we're going to answer, is what do fractals reveal about nature, about Yahuwah Elohim, and about the Bible? Now, you might be asking, well, what on earth are fractals, right? And so that's the first thing we're going to be looking at. What exactly are fractals? Well, for those of you who haven't heard about fractals, it's not surprising because it's a relatively new invention or new discovery. It's only because of the advent of computers that many people, many scientists and mathematicians were able to see the beauty and pervasiveness of fractals as a pattern found in nature. So what exactly are fractals? Well, what do you want? The technical definition? or the layman's definition. We'll give you the layman's definition. Fractals are patterns. That's what they are. It's a sequence of patterns, which are very beautiful. Patterns that repeats and builds on itself in increasingly complex levels and layers, macroscopically, meaning you zoom out, and uh, microscopically, meaning you zoom in, both bigger than itself and smaller than itself. That's a mouthful. We're gonna go through it and you're going to see the meaning of this definition of fractals. So fractals basically is a mathematical concept. It was discovered by Mandelbrot, Benoit Mandelbrot in 1975. And so he was a mathematician and he was studying a lot about numbers. And he put together a formula that created a set of numbers. And so before we can talk about the Mandelbrot set, let's talk about mathematical sets in general. So we're going to go back to elementary mathematics, if that's okay with you. So what are mathematical sets? It's a set of numbers. And there are different mathematical sets. For example, the first one that you see, 1, 2, 3, 15, 16, 19, 22. These are all counting numbers. Remember the set of integers, the set of counting numbers, the set of whole numbers. Those are mathematical sets. Sets containing numbers that bear certain characteristics. So counting numbers, the first set I showed you there, is a mathematical set that depict numbers that we use for counting, like one, two, and three, so on and so forth. The next set is obvious, right? You can see the negative sign. And so when you see the negative sign pattern, you can probably deduce, well, this set is the, the mathematical set of negative numbers, right? Because they're all negative numbers. So the Mandelbrot set is a formula, it's a mathematical formula that gives you a set of numbers. And the set of numbers, when you look at just the numbers, it looks very random. And th there doesn't seem to be any information in the sequence of numbers. So the Mandelbrot set is a sequence of numbers created by the formula z squared plus c equals z. And you plug in n plus one, which is the number that you generate when you plug it in the first time. And so it's a sequence. The set of all numbers, C, for which the sequence Zn remains small according to this formula. So you start with N being zero, and then N equals one, N equals two, right? And you plug in any number you want for C. And you ask yourself the question, does this number C, for example, number one, is it, when you plug that in the sequence, is the sequence getting bigger and bigger and bigger? or does it remain small? If it remains small, it's called a Mandelbrot 
set. And so to give you an idea of what that looks like, we're going to look at a video from Answers in Genesis and a presentation by Dr. Jason Lyle. And it's about the, about fractals and the Mandelbrot set. Um, the title is right there. Atheists cannot explain the secret code scene in creation. In fact, if you have time, go to YouTube and watch it because you're going to appreciate it more. But when we look at the Mandelbrot set and we begin to map it, because when you look at the sequence of numbers produced by the Mandelbrot set, it doesn't look any, it doesn't look amazing. It seems like a random set of numbers that do not go beyond number one. So no big deal. However, when you begin to map the Mandelbrot set, when you, you remember when we used to like graph the points in the graph, like you have the x-axis, the y-axis. When you use that and look at the Mandelbrot set using um, computers, because if you're going to do this manually, it's going to be very, very long. It's going to be very, very tedious. And so this is like the graph. And so when we plot, when we put all the dots, the black dots represent numbers that belong to the Mandelbrot set. When you put that together, it creates like a pattern. You see the pattern there? When you keep adding more and more dots, it has, you can see a picture beginning to appear. And there are also dots that do not belong to the Mandelbrot set. And we can use a red dot for that. And when you plot it on the graph, it looks like this. And so the more points you plot, the more it begins to form pictures. If we were to do this manually, it's going to be too tedious. This is why this was not discovered until the advent of computers. Because with computers, especially computers nowadays, you can just plug in the formula. It's going to create for you wonderful, wonderful plots on the graphs. And it's going to look something like this. Now it looks kind of familiar. I don't know. Have you ever seen this, this image before? Maybe not. But when you plot the Mandelbrot set, it creates an image that look, looks something like that. Let's get rid of the graphic lines. And it looks like that more clean picture. Now, when you look at that, you might say, okay, it looks nice, but what's so special about it, right? Remember, it's produced by that simple formula. And that simple formula produced this pretty graphical picture. What's so special about that? What are the characteristics of the Mandelbrot set? What are the characteristics of fractals. Well, let's look at this uh, image, right? This is how it looks like when you plot it. I don't know. Do you notice that little dot in front of it? You see the big picture, the big uh, image. And then when you look at the front of it, there's another small image. Do you see it right there, right? What if we magnify that? Because computers are able to do that. Usually when you have a picture that you take from your phone, and you snap a picture, and then you zoom it, what happens to the clarity of the picture? It becomes worse, right? With the Mandelbrot set, it's different. The closer you look, the more you magnify, the more complex it gets, the more information you have. Very different from what we have in the, in the common world, in, in our world, right? And so when we magnify that and look at that smaller one, how does it look like? What happens? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this video. So you, you magnify it, right? And then take a look at that. 
there's another one right in front of it again. You magnify that, and there's another one right in front of it, right? And so you can go all the way up and all the way down. You can go macroscopically, microscopically infinite in both directions, and it just keeps getting more and more refined. The thing is, the more you magnify it, the more information you get. And so that hole, right, is found in the part. But in the part, that hole is actually more complex because the more you magnify it, the more information you get, the more, inf uh, the more complex it becomes. So what we find here is one of the characteristics of the Mandelbrot set, which is number one, the hole is in the parts, but the hole in the part is not identical. It is slightly more complex than the level above it. So the more you go down a level, the more complex it becomes. So the whole is in the parts in increasingly complex repetitions. That's something wonderful and unexpected about the Mandelbrot set. No one knew this kind of characteristic would be produced by that mathematical formula. And so that's one of the characteristics. What's another characteristic of the Mandelbrot set? You notice in the man, this Mandelbrot set, the, the, the image it produces, um, do you see some kind of simil similarity between the top and the bottom, right? So if we draw an imaginary line across horizontally, we have a mirror image of the top and the bottom. So the top looks exactly like the bottom, right? Do you see that? This is called symmetry. And symmetry is found throughout the Mandelbrot set. In this particular case, not only is it symmetrical, it's a mirror of each other. In other words, it is a chiasmic structure. We talked about uh, the chiastic structure before, right? The chiastic structure. I should have, I think I misspelled the word there. It's chiastic structure. We talked about it before. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about uh, the Bible and its chiastic structure. But the Mandelbrot set and fractals in general, they have a chiastic structure. So that's characteristic number three. What else? Well, one of the fascinating things about the Mandelbrot set is when you look at the details, you will find patterns that are unique, different from everywhere else. Only in that particular location is it the same, but it's similar to other patterns that it produces. For example, when we look at this particular uh, kind of bud, right? It has three branches. And when you look on the left, the left of it, the one right after it has five branches and seven, nine, 11. And when you look at the other side, it's um, in even, I mean, in, in when you look at the left side, it's uh, all odd numbers, like three, five, seven. When you look at the right side, it's all the numbers, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and 11. Not only that, when you add, um, the tendrils for one for for two of the the branches they add up to exact number that you find in the middle. This is why three and five when you add it up it's eight five and nine uh, when you add five and seven it's twelve and so you kind of have this nice pretty pattern uh, when it comes to you know the the, the uh, specifics when it comes to some of the details that you find in the Mandelbrot set. So when you kind of zoom in on one part, it's going to reveal many things. For example, 
when we zoom in to the, uh, the, the you notice how the circles kind of produce that triangular curvature, right? If you, for example, zoom into that, it will create this nice pattern that repeats itself infinite, infinitely. Uh, this is a nice picture of it. Wear your seatbelts, please. So it just keeps going and going and going, right? And so it doesn't stop. The more you magnify the picture, the more information you get because you don't get exactly the same pattern. It's similar, but there's some variation because there's more information and more complexity built in when you go lower and lower and lower and lower. And so that's a fascinating thing about fractals. It's, it showcases the infinite, the beauty of infinity, right? Because we have concepts of the infinite, but we can't really grasp it. Fractals provides a way for us to grasp the beauty of the infinite. And here's another example of that. You notice the little Mandelbrot set right there in the middle, the black dot. That's like the Mandelbrot set, right? But this is actually, when it's magnified, let's, uh, let's look at uh, what happens when we, um, we magnify again. And when you focus on like a, a, a specific part of it, you find different patterns, like a galaxy pattern, spiral galaxy pattern. Notice that, uh, which is not evident. When you look closer, you will find even more detail. Here are some of the details. So there's variation when you go, when you magnify more and more, right? And so what we find when it comes to the patterns in the Mandelbrot set is patterns repeat themselves with ever increasing complexity on all layers and levels, macroscopically and microscopically, macroscopically and microscopically. It means you magnify in, magnify out, you have the same amount of, you get increasingly complex information. So these are the three characteristics of fractals. Number one, the whole is in the parts in increasingly complex repetition. Number two, it has a chiastic structure. Number three, patterns repeat themselves in different levels and in different layers. So that's the fractal produced by mathematics using a computer to generate the images when you plot the set of found in the Mandelbrot set into a graph. Okay, it looks pretty, it reveals beauty, it reveals, reveals repetition, it reveals the beauty of infinity. So what do fractals reveal about nature? Well, it actually reveals a lot about nature because surprisingly, because of the advent of fractal geometry, more and more people are finding that these fractal patterns and fractal designs are found throughout nature. For example, in this website called treehugger.com, a nice website, they were looking for fractals in nature and they found it everywhere. For example, in broccoli, right? You see the fractal, the fractal nature, fractal design of broccoli. Here's uh, pine cones. You see how a pattern that repeats itself again and again in beautiful ways. Here are succulents. You see the, uh, the way it spirals, which is a character of uh, fractals. Ice and snow, 
We know it's a fractal because the pattern repeats itself. Tree branches are fractals in design. Copper crystals are copper are also fractal in design. Um, rivers, when you look at it from up above, you can it reveals its fractal design. Leaf veins, you can see how it's also fractal in nature. And here's foam. Again, you can see it's fractal uh, design. And so we can basically see fractals everywhere. There's a website called Bible Matrix. And according to the author who's been studying fractals, he says fractals are everywhere. You can see them in the relationship between your arteries, blood vessels, and capillaries, and also in the relationship between the trees and the forest, the branches on the trees, the twigs on the branches, and the patterns in the leaves. They are also apparent in animal coloration patterns, river networks, lightning bolts, ocean waves, DNA, earthquakes, the structure of snowflakes, and other crystals. And of course, like what we showed you, the Romanesco broccoli, right? And so you find the, the pattern of fractals everywhere in nature. In fact, fractals seem to be built in nature. Many scientists are applying the science of fractals and the mathematics of fractals to develop technology. For example, according to the same website, some of the applications of fractals-based fractals science include mobile phone design, uh, which allows for super efficient antenna. That's not obtrusive. This is why our phones are nice, tiny gadgets that doesn't have the antenna that protrudes out of it, right? That's because of fractal geometry, fractal science, fractal-based software used for creating movie images that look like reality, the use of fractal patterns in the human heartbeat that enhance diagnosis and treatment, the use of fractal geometry to explain the behavior of financial markets. So uh, fractals are everywhere. The formation of crystals, the physics of how complexity is dynamic is based on fractal science. So fractals are found everywhere in nature. And so this causes us, this makes us wanna ask the question, why is the universe designed based on fractals, right? Why is that? Could it be that fractals have something to do with the mind of our father, Yahuwah? What do fractals reveal about Allahim or about God? Why does nature express the patterns of fractals? Because after all, fractals was really an invention, right? We created a formula, we plotted it on the graph, and lo and behold, it's found everywhere in nature, and people even use it to create advances in technology. And so nature seems to follow the laws of fractals. And so why is that? Why does nature express the patterns of fractals? And it's a question that when we ask people about it, Many philosophers and many atheists are unable to answer that. Why? Because fractals are mathematical constructs. And mathematical constructs basically came from the human mind. The human being was the one who formulated mathematical constructs. And what is fascinating about mathematical constructs is human, uh, the laws of nature obey mathematics. Can you imagine? If the laws of nature, like the laws of physics, does not obey mathematics, I mean, what would happen to uh, air, what would happen to airports and airplanes, right? 
what would happen to radio transmitters? What would happen to basic life if mathematics was not obeyed by the laws of nature? And so one of the things that we don't really think about is why is the universe based on the mathematics invented by man, right? Why is it that the laws of the universe follow the laws of mathematics? Why do the laws of nature follow mathematical concepts like fractals? Because when you study theoretical physics, right? When people theorize about the structure of reality, they use mathematical constructs. And the mathematical constructs that they come up with, guess what? It has a correspondence with reality. The laws of nature, the laws of geology, the laws of the universe, it follows the laws of mathematics, the mathematical concepts like fractals. So this is the question that atheists do not want you to ask them because they have no answer. Because for us to be able to answer this question requires that there's a creator who likes to do things in an orderly way. Because mathematics is all about pattern and orderliness. This is why when we showed you the formula about on the Mandelbrot set, right? It's simple. It's an orderly sequence of numbers produced by the formula. But when you look at what it produces graphically, it is infinitely complex. What does this tell you about the creator? The creator is orderly. Does the Bible support that? Does the Bible teach that he is an orderly creator? Absolutely. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, this is what it says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. According to the Holy Bible, there's something that Apostle Paul wants us to do. And when we do this, we will come to the conclusion there must be a creator. What did Apostle Paul tell us to do? Apostle Paul tells us we need to examine and study everything that has been made. Now, when it says everything that has been made, what do we call that? Creation. Do you know who are the people who study creation for a living? What do we call that? People who study creation for a living. Scientists. How do scientists do their work? They look for patterns. If the universe is not created in an orderly way, there's no science. The fact that there can be science is because the universe follows the laws of nature and the laws are orderly. This is why Apostle Paul says, you want to know that God exists? Do you want to find his eternal power and his divine nature? Do you want to know about the extent of his glory? Examine nature. This is why the laws of nature reveal the power, reveal the divine nature of Yahuwah Elohim, because it's orderly. And fractals being found in nature tell us that these mathematical constructs, well, they come from the mind of Yahuwah, because Yahuwah created everything in an orderly way. This is why Apostle Paul, in echoing this principle and idea that the universe was created orderly, Apostle Paul says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, because Yahuwah God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. And we can see that throughout the Holy Bible. As a matter of fact, when we go through our discipleship training program, and when we look at the themes and structure of the Bible, we're going to see the patterns of orderliness found throughout the Holy Bible. There's Yahuwah is very orderly when it comes to the tabernacle. 
He's very orderly when it comes to his laws and his commandments. He's very orderly when it comes to his timing. And we will see evidence of this throughout the history of scripture from the very beginning up until the end. This is why there's a correspondence between Genesis and Revelation. It's connected because Yahuwah God is an orderly God and he is the one who is in control of the unfolding of redemptive history. And so the fact that we find fractals everywhere, the fact that mathematics corresponds to reality is proof that Yahuwah is a God who created the universe orderly so that we human beings, when we examine reality, when we examine creation as scientists, we're going to come to the conclusion there must be a God who created all of this. Because if there's no God, how do you explain mathematics that correspond to reality? that are obeyed by the laws of physics. If there's no God who created all things, how do we explain the orderliness of the laws of nature? We cannot. It cannot be explained. This is why atheists, they're dumbfounded when it comes to the question, how do you explain the order of the universe and the laws of the universe? So mathematics and fractals reveal that Yahuwah created the universe in an orderly way. Atheists, they have no answer. We have an answer. Because we have a God who created all things in a way that can be understood because it's orderly. If it's not orderly, there's no way we can understand reality. There's no way we can study uh, nature. There will be no field of science. You get it? This is why the reason why there's a field of science and there's a field of mathematics is because Yahuwah God created the universe in an orderly way with patterns that we human beings can detect and put together to and understand so that we can also explain Yahuwah's creation. Now, that's one aspect uh, that mathematics and fractals reveal about Yahuwah, that he created the universe in, in an orderly way. But what else do fractals and mathematics reveal about our Elohim in heaven? Well, if you remember, there are three characteristics of fractals, right? The whole is in the parts and increasingly complex repetitions. There's chiastic structure, there are patterns that repeat themselves with ever-increasing complexity in all layers and all levels. However, I don't know if you, you grasped it or if you were able to see it, but one of the characteristics of fractals is the fact that they are infinite. They're infinitely complex in both microscopic and macroscopic directions. And so fractals are infinite. You get it? They're not finite. They are infinite. And so when we try and grasp infinity, I want you to kind of think about infinity. How does that look like? One way that we can kind of grasp infinity and appreciate infinity is when we look at, you know, when we keep zooming in and zooming out and it just keeps getting more and more refined, more and more information. This kind of reveals the infinite understanding of Yahuwah. And so with fractals, Yahuwah is kind of communicating to us, this is what I can do. This is the way I think. Yahuwah thinks not just in patterns, but in infinite patterns, right? And it's revealed in fractals. And in Psalms 147 verse 5, it says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Yahuwah's understanding, the way he thinks, it's infinite. And when you look at a fractal, right, that's just a sample of what infinity can look like. Yahuwah's understanding is infinite. So we know Yahuwah Elohim is infinite. 
That's uh, number two. But what else do fractals mathematics reveal about Elohim? Well, we know that fractals found in nature, there they are not infinite, right? When we look at fractals, remember fractals are mathematical constructs, but they correspond to reality because we see nature. And when we look at different parts of nature, we see fractal design. We see fractals in nature everywhere. However, it doesn't mean that the fractals we find in nature are infinite. They are not infinite. For example, the broccoli. Broccoli is not infinite, right? I mean, when you um, cut the broccoli in half and then you cut it in half again, eventually you're going you're gonna to stop finding the fractal pattern. Eventually, you cannot cut anymore, right? So the uh, broccoli is not infinite. But the mathematical construct, the concept of the fractal is infinite. You see the difference between the mathematical construct of fractals, infinite, but the corresponding reality, which are fractals, are finite. Okay, That's because the universe has limits microscopically. What does that mean? There's a limit to how the building blocks of the universe can be reduced to. When you reach the size of the quantum, it can no longer be divided. You see, as scientists, what do they like to do? They like to break things apart, right? And see what things are made of. This is the way of Legos. Remember Legos? When you use building blocks, Legos, you put them together to create something nice, something massive, and then you break it apart. If you take that Lego and you divide it in half, will it still work? Perhaps. But if you divide it in half again, will it still work? Maybe not. If you divide it in half and you keep dividing it, making it, dividing it and disassembling it, deconstructing it to its smaller and smaller parts, eventually you're going to come to the level of the molecule, right? The molecule, you look at it, you divide the molecule some more, what do you get? What's the next level down from molecule? Maybe an atom. From the atom, what do you do? You want to break it down into parts again. You have subatomic particles. You got protons, neutrons, and electrons. Remember that? Science 101. Well, what if you continue to break it apart? Is the universe infinitely like a fractal? Infinitely, can you, can you divide it and divide it and divide it? According to science, when you divide a particle, when you divide reality into a smaller and smaller parts, and when it goes to the level of the quantum, you cannot divide anymore. That's the limit of our division. We cannot deconstruct a quantum anymore. And so there are limits to the universe microscopically. It's not infinite, like the fractal, where you can divide and divide and divide, or zoom in and zoom in and zoom in. Eventually, when you take a super powerful microscope and you zoom into the electrons and then the neutrons and then the the subatomic particles, eventually you cannot, you cannot see any further. It stops. It has a limit. So the universe is finite. The universe has limits macroscopically because the universe is finite in size. You know, before the advent of the telescope, before the advent of Einstein, before the advent of astrophysics, many people believe that the universe was infinite. But science has demonstrated that the universe is not infinite. It's finite in size. And it has not always existed forever. In other words, the universe had a beginning. So the universe itself is finite. 
but certain mathematical constructs are infinite. So I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to go to that concept a little later on. Nature is not infinite, but finite. Infinity does not exist in reality, right? Infinity is a mathematical construct. And it's fascinating. One of the most perplexing thing about mathematics is when mathematicians incorporate infinity in the formulation of their theorems, like string mathematics, when they incorporate certain ideas of infinity, somehow, some way, it translates into reality. So what does that tell us? At some level, there is such a thing as infinity. But in our present reality, it's all finite. I want you to keep that in mind. Because of the existence of infinity as a mathematical construct, it tells us at some level, there is such a thing as infinity. But right now, in our present reality, everything is finite. So what does that mean? What does this reveal about Yahuwah Elohim? Well, in the book of Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this. And so the Bible tells us that Yahuwah is unique. He's different from you and I because he lives in eternity. When it says he lives in eternity, what does that mean? For Yahuwah, the concept of space and time does not apply, right? It applies only to us because we were created by Yahuwah. And when he created us and creation itself in the universe, he created the universe outside of his eternity. He lives in eternity. He is a being. He is Yahuwah who is outside of creation. And so when he created all things, where was he at? And where, when, did, when did he begin? Because that's often a question people ask, when did Yahuwah, who created Yahuwah, right? Because when we look at everything in the universe, everything has a beginning. The universe has a beginning. A human being has a beginning. Civilizations have a beginning. Everything has a beginning, right? Well, how about Yahuwah? Does he have a beginning? In the book of Psalms 90, verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are, Elohim. So the Bible tells us that Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting. This is why it's absurd to ask the question, how old is God? Right? How old is he? You cannot ask that question about Yahuwah because he does not have an age. Why? He's from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so he's very different from present reality, the creation, the universe as it is today. It's very different. Its nature is very different from the one who created this universe. And so when what was included when Yahuwah created the universe in Genesis 1.1, perhaps the most cited verse in the Holy Bible, because when people read or attempt to read the Holy Bible, they get to Genesis 1.1, maybe other parts of Genesis, and afterwards they stop reading the Bible, right? And so at least a lot of people have gone through Genesis 1.1. I mean, if you haven't gone through Genesis 1.1, I don't know, you haven't read the Bible at all, right? Because everyone starts in Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And so the Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth had a beginning. Yahuwah, when he created the heavens and the earth, that's the universe. And the universe he created includes both space and time. This is why it says in the 
beginning, right? And so Yahuwah created space and time, heavens and the earth. By the way, the phrase heavens and the earth is found about 10 times in the, the Holy Bible and refers to all of creation, the universe. And so Yahuwah created space and time in the beginning. And so when Yahuwah created space and time in the beginning, where was he before space and time were created? He was in eternity. So he's outside the created universe. He's in some different realm. Get it? Right? So the laws of our universe here doesn't apply to him. He's not bound by the laws of space and time. He created the laws of space and time. And how did he create it? In the book of Psalms 30, 33, verse 6, by the word of Yahuwah, where the heavens mean, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The Bible tells us, by the word of Yahuwah, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all things were created. So not only is Yahuwah living in eternity, he has infinite or eternal power, right? He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's also omnipotent. Can you imagine thinking about it, and then poof, it's right there. He spoke the word, and the heavens were made. He breathed existence into being. And so Yahuwah is infinite, and reality is finite. And so this tells us the distinction between uh, pure mathematics and reality. Because in pure mathematics, like fractals, it reveals infinity. But you cannot find that in nature. But it points to the fact that there is the concept of infinity points to the reality. There must be someone who is infinite who created all things. Because if there was no corresponding reality to infinity, then it would not be conceived as a concept. And I know this is like deep philosophical stuff, but I think it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you have mathematics and the mathematics applies to reality, according to scientists, and I mean, everything behaves according to the math. And because the math tells us about infinity, what does that tell us about reality? It tells us that there's an infinite God who created all things, but what he created was finite. This is why that's what is revealed by the fractals and mathematics. Yahuwah, who is infinite and everlasting, is outside the created universe of space and time, and he created a finite universe. This is why Yahuwah is infinite. This is why there are concepts of infinity found in mathematics, because it points to the reality that Yahuwah is eternal and infinite. And that infinity, the concept of infinity, the concept of existence, do you know how that's expressed? Do you know how Yahuwah expresses that? By his name. His name. Yahuwah. When you think about the name Yahuwah, when you meditate upon the name Yahuwah, what does it actually mean? Well, he tells us it means I am who I am, right? And I am means, means the self-existent one who causes all things to exist and maintains it with his power. That's the meaning of Yahuwah. And when we can look at Yahuwah as a compound name, looking at the Hebrew roots, it has basically three roots. I am who I am, Haya, who, and Huwa, which means I am who is, who was, and who is to come, who causes all things to 
exists. And so what this tells us is Yahuwah is infinite. He's not in creation, but outside of creation because he's in eternity. And so the fact that people can conceive, not precisely, of course, but the fact that they can basically grasp that there is infinity points that Yahuwah is infinite and Yahuwah created all things as finite. So what do fractals and mathematics uh, reveal about Yahuwah? Number one, Yahuwah Elohim created the universe in an orderly way. That's number one, right? Number two, Yahuwah Elohim is infinite. And number three, Yahuwah Elohim, who is infinite and everlasting, is outside the created universe of space and time and created a finite universe. So that's what fractals reveal about nature and about Yahuwah. But this is something I want you to think about. And this is what makes us human beings different from other creatures, right? And this, the question I want to pose, everyone here, is this question. Why do human beings think about the concept of infinity? And very smart individuals actually incorporate the concept of infinity in their mathematics and come up with theories of the, of the universe and physics that, see, that apply to reality. So where does that come from? I mean, why do human beings, why do we have this idea of infinity? Where does that come from? I mean, if you ask the atheist that question, ask an atheist, the next time you meet an atheist, why do human beings think about infinity? <laughs> Where is that coming from? I mean, animals, gorillas and apes, lizards, they don't think about infinity. Only human beings grasp the concept of infinity. I wonder why. Why is that? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes actually tells us the answer in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Yet Allahim has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of Allahim's work from beginning to end. Where does the concept of unity, uh, infinity come from? It comes from who? Yahuwah. You see, there is such a thing as infinity. Otherwise, there would be no, there would be no God. Because we have this idea of infinity points to the reality that Yahuwah God exists. I hope you get that. Because we would not be able to conceive of infinity unless there is such a thing as an infinite Infinite creator. And so Yahuwah is the infinite creator. And what did he do with infinity? He planted in eternity in our hearts. This is why as human beings, we have the concept of infinite. We have the concept of things not coming to an end. We have a concept of etern eternity. Because Yahuwah, who is infinite, has planted that in our human heart. This is why, as human beings, we have hope, right? In other words, right now, when we examine our physical universe, we don't find evidence for infinity. Do you find any evidence of infinity in the universe? It's not in the atoms. It's not in the universe. It's not in the suns. It's not in the living beings because everything dies. All creation dies, right? It's not found in reality. But what? Is Yahuwah going to do? Let's read what it says in the book of Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of things, the old order of things had passed away. And so the Bible says that Yahuwah is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And when he recreates the heavens and the earth, he calls it a new heaven and a new earth. What's going to happen to the present heavens and earth? It's going to pass away. When the heavens and the earth that now exist, which is finite, when that passes away, the Bible says the old order of things has passed away. He's creating everything new. And when he creates the new heavens and the earth, what does the Bible call this new reality? 2 Peter 1.11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua Christ. The Bible says the old order of things. Remember, Yahuwah God created the universe in an orderly way. This is why it's mathematical in nature. There are laws of physics, laws of biology that operate. However, in the old order of things, things wind down. Things die. So the infinite expression that is found in mathematics and fractals, they're not fully realized in the old order of things, which now is. But Yahuwah is going to recreate everything. And when we recreates everything, what does the Bible call that kingdom? Everlasting kingdom. So this reality, the reality that Yahuwah is going to create, it's going to be vastly different, right? Because the heavens where Yahuwah dwells, it is eternal. It's different. The laws of physics do not apply there, right? It only applies here. Here is not eternal. But there it is eternal. That is the source of mathematics. That's the source of all things that Yahuwah has done. He created everything. And so mathematics, and it's the, the infinite, the, in, the infinity that's found in mathematics, that concept comes from Yahuwah. The concept of infinity is true because Yahuwah is infinite and heaven is infinite. Eventually, we're going to see and taste infinity for ourselves. When? When he recreates the new heavens and the earth. And for us to be able to taste and perceive and appreciate and appreciate in a deeper way and absorb infinity, what's going to happen to us? 1 Corinthians 15, 40 to 41. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the, the moon, stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. And so the Bible says the, bo the bodies on earth are different from the bodies in heaven. So we're talking about the difference between one reality and another reality. There's an earthly reality. And there's a heavenly reality. The earthly reality, well, it's finite. Finite. There may be expressions of infinite that we grasp a gleam of it a little bit, but it's finite. Because the earthly body has a different kind of glory from the heavenly 
body. And so what's going to happen to our earthly bodies? Corinthians, again, 15, 43, 44, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So the Bible tells us that the, the body that we have now, which is pretty indicative of what nature is like, it's broken and it dies. All creation groans. All creation is winding down in energy. The sun is going to die, right? The stars are going to die. The universe is going to die. Everything is going to die, not just you and me, but everything created is going to die because of its earthly nature. But there's some kind of, but there's another nature, the spiritual or heavenly one. The Bible says we human beings together with the universe, we're going to die if we're going to be raising glory. Who are going to be raising glory? Those who belong to who? Yahushua. What kind of glory shall we have? The glory of a spiritual body. What is the glory of the spiritual body? Let's keep reading 50 to 53. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. But when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So the Bible tells us that our earthly body is going to be transformed. It's going to be changed, not just at the superficial level, but even transcending the atomic level. Our reality is going to change. And when we change, we're going to grasp infinity at a deeper way. We will appreciate infinity. Why? Because we will live forever. Right now, we're not living forever, right? Right now, our concept of infinity is still mind-boggling, but it's there somehow. And the reason for that is Yehovah wants us to hope for that. Why? Because it exists. Not only does it, does it exist mathematically, eventually it's going to be felt in our life in reality. When? When our bodies will be changed. Because our bodies will become a spiritual body that is not going to die and will live forever. Why will, is there a need for our bodies to change? So that we can inherit the kingdom of God, which is going to be everlasting and eternal. This is why the reality of the infinite, it exists. We have no access to it yet. But in our mind, we know it exists because mathematics and how it translates when you incorporate into the theorems describes aspects of reality that can be used in application to improve our life today. This tells us there is indeed a higher reality that is infinite. And Yahuwah has placed infinity and, and 
eternity in our hearts so that we will not lose hope. You see, when people die, when people say goodbye, it doesn't mean that it's final. And Yahuwah wants us to believe that there is such a thing as everlasting life. That the grave is not final. It will be defeated. It was defeated by our King Yahusha. We believe Yahuwah's promises. And so Yahuwah is expressing and showing us the reality of infinity, not just in the Bible, but all over in every aspect of our life because he wants us to place our hope in him who is infinite in power, infinite and everlasting in kindness. Let's place our hope in Yahuwah and in his son, Yahusha, so that we too can be embraced by them and receive everlasting life. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, gracious Yahuwah Allahim, thank you so much, merciful Father, because of your infinite love, you have given us the opportunity to receive life everlasting, though we are sinners because of our flesh. Father, whenever we lose hope sometimes, teach us to look upon you, to remember that you are eternal. Nothing surprises you. You are in control of everything, every circumstance in our life. Every happening in our life, the past and the present and the future, it has a purpose. You know what you were doing. Yes. So teach us to trust you that we may never lose hope. Instead, we will place a complete trust in your mighty hands. Father, bless us as we study your holy book. Reveal to us your great love every day that we can find reason for living, reason for hoping that we may worship you forever in spirit and truth. Amen. Our King Yahushua, may you please be with your servants. We need you always in our life. May you strengthen our faith. And may you bless us with wisdom. Help us to understand the teachings of Abba yes. and to gain hope because of your love for us. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.